welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This time I'm speaking with Nabel Crowhurst, who is Director of HR and Communications at Roche and a multi-award winning HR leader. This conversation was recorded earlier this year, prior to lockdown, hence we don't mention it. However, this conversation is all about Agile with a capital A, and perhaps is even more relevant now. But before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. And thank you. Now let's get into it. Nabel, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, you're a proponent of Agile, capital A, and its applications to HR and L&D, but it's too often misinterpreted as doing things faster and without a fixed plan. Descriptions of this nature fail to speak to the value that comes with a truly agile approach. So what do you mean by Agile, capital A, and in regards to HR, and what problems are you seeking to solve? Big question. (laughs) Big question to start with. Um, So for me, um, the principle of um, Agile is is um, there's an element of discipline within the way in which you work with Agile. So I think the, the starting point really is um, people understanding what what the context of, of Agile is, aside from um, people talking about Agile HR and referencing, you know, flexible workforces and mm. that kind of, um, those kind of examples. For me, when I'm talking about working in an Agile space, it's taking the learnings from Agile as a philosophy that's lived for a very long time in the technology space. Mm. So learning from their philosophies, understanding how um, in the early days, software development uh, moved forward at a greater pace through a new way of working, um, breaking things down incrementally, delivering things um, at a a pace that works better for the business, um, recognizing that um, you can co-create and work alongside the business by listening to their feedback and um, working through iterations. So I think what often happens when we are in our world of of L&D and HR, we're kind of, we we take an initial kind of order from a stakeholder or requirement from somebody and we think, okay, right, I think I know what they need. Mm -hmm. And we disappear off into a room for six months and beaver away at creating a solution. And we come back and say, here it is perfect solution we've done it and the business says oh hang on a minute that was six months ago we've, mm. we've moved forward and, and progressed in, a, in another direction and for me agile is about doing bite-sized chunks of that delivery um, and keeping um, the dialogue open with the stakeholders and checking in to see are we still in the right direction how mm. does this look what do we want from that how does that move us forward so it's a different approach um, that is there's a blend of knowing that you can move in various directions, hence Mm -hmm. the agility, but utilising a series of principles that allow a level of discipline to stay focused. Mm. Which is in contrast, as you say, to the traditional way that we'll run learning and development, which are largely big bets Mm. uh, placed with not nearly as much information as you're finding. What what you're describing there is a far less risky, as well as the other benefits, but a far less risky approach to tackling the real problems that our clients are, uh, are facing. But what was your introduction then, Nabel, to Agile and what motivi- motivated you then to apply it to your teams? Yeah, so my first experience of Agile was in uh, my previous role. So um, prior to working within Roche, um, I worked for um, well-known 
fashion retailer River Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and our tech team there were pioneering this as a new way of working and um, championing it across the business um, and introducing the concept to senior leadership and various different departments across the business. Mm. So from an from a L&D and HR perspective, we were curious, wanted to know, uh, okay, if this works in tech, then how might that work in other areas of the business? And how could we perhaps play a role, um, especially within the L&D space, to be the people that help others learn and understand what Agile is um, and how they can apply it to their um, business areas? Mm. So it started really just with some curiosity. What is it? How does it work? What's this new language? Because, you know, within Agile, if you truly uh, work in an Agile environment, you'll hear lots of different and unusual words that are not your standard business terms when we're talking about projects. So mm. we talk about sprints, we talk about stand-ups, we talk about Kanban boards, which for some people that are listening might have some kind of knowledge of, which is great. And for others, they'll be thinking, well, what on earth, what on earth is that? Yeah. Um, so it was realising that there's perhaps some principles that we can take from what tech we're doing um, and, and experiment, try mm. it out. And I think that's the other beauty of Agile. It's It encourages that kind of... Um, test and learn type mindset, um, you know, fail fast and, and learn from that and move forward to things, but be very comfortable to experiment with new ways of doing things. And I think when I go back to that point in time when we started to really think, okay, how might this work for us? Uh, what was really um, clear was the various mindsets of people. And I think if anything related to Agile, you kind of have to have a, a good mindset around wanting to work in a new and different way. Mm. So what you tend to find, and I guess with most things, when you introduce something new, your early adopters and the people that get excited about the idea of doing something new and different, and then your massive skeptics that say, hang on a second, we can't possibly deliver a management development program that's um, done in iterations where we perhaps share what's known as a minimal viable product and say, well, okay, here's a first draft of a program, let's run with it and see how it goes. No, mm. no, no, no. We have to do everything perfectly before we can possibly presented to a stakeholder. So you're going to have those kind of people that Mm. feel very uncomfortable with working in a new way. Um, So to position it early on and say, hey, you know what? This is new. This is happening. Shall we try it? What do you think? And try and get people on board and engaged in that way. Um, I think you get greater success in Mm. being able to bring it into the everyday life of 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 a team or a department. And when I asked the same question to Tracy Waters from Sky in an earlier podcast, uh, her response was, well, doing the same thing and expecting different results is the very definition of insanity, yeah. isn't it? You know, we, we are talking about not just jumping on a bandwagon and doing new and novel activities. This is about achieving very different ends from a very different practice. As you know, we were talking about the, the benefits just there, that you can move fast, that it's less risky because you're building with and for the mm-hmm. client, that you can put a minimum valuable product into the hands of people to see whether it's actually making a difference rather than scheduling a workforce through said program over a period of months where they have a one and done immersive experience that is meant to then have a um, uh, have a sustained difference. But I've spoken with L&D practitioners, very, very seasoned L&D practitioners who have misinterpreted what is meant by agile and experiments and then thinking, yeah, but the first people who engage then, they get an inferior product, don't yeah. they? And you're really thinking, no, you're still thinking the old way. Yeah. You're still thinking of attending a program that's only partially started, like the like the Death Star at the end of uh, the, you know, in the, in the Return of the Jedi. You know, this thing's barely, you know, barely 
barely afloat and yet we're getting people through it. But it's really not like that, is mm. it? And my, so my next question to you, Nabelle, is if we could take this from the abstract, I'd love to know how does it actually work for you and in the context of your team? So what does your team do? How is it experienced by employees? And what's the experience then of stakeholders? Yeah, yeah. So um, lots of different experiences along the way. So from a team point of view, um, I think the biggest impact that I've observed with teams of people that have embarked on working in an agile way is how it brings people together yeah. um, incredibly well. And, and those people don't even need to be in the same location. I think that's also what's really powerful. So one of, one of the base principles of working within Agile, so, so especially for people that aren't familiar with this as a concept, is when you decide to perhaps work on something, you, um, you tend to need to stay quite focused. And this is where the discipline comes in. So the, the discipline around the time frame. So, so we talk about time boxing. So we might say that we've got something specific that we want to deliver and we've got a two-week period to do so. Within that two-week period, it's really important that the people that are co-creating the solution or the initiative or the outcome um, check in regularly. So within um, a sprint, perhaps for two weeks, having a daily stand-up where you check in with that group of people every day at the same time for no more than 15 minutes, we have a, a, a round the group that says, what have you done yesterday? What are you doing today? And what are your blockers? Mm -hmm. And initially, people think, oh, I don't know how I'm going to fit those 15 minutes in every day. Yeah. Um, the benefit of fitting those 15 minutes in every day is that group of people really hold each other to account um, and come together and really become a team because every day they're just saying, how are you doing? What's happening? Mm. What's happening in your world? How can we progress this more? And how can we um, work together? And um, so from a team point of view, um, we use the principles of Agile um, early days in River Island because we had a very specific project that we needed to deliver on in a, in a very tight frame of um, time. Um, but what came out of that was that we built agile principles into our daily life. Mm -hmm. So my team uh, were very spread out geographically. It was difficult to stay connected. And so the principle of a daily stand-up or a regular stand-up or a check-in um, worked really well for bringing that team together. Um, and you mentioned Tracy before from, from Sky, and, and Tracy was one of the first people I went to speak to to say, what are you up to and how's mm. this working and what can I learn? And, and I, I remember those first conversations. And similarly, she has a team that is spread geographically mm -hmm. um, and connecting people through those daily stand-ups really makes a difference to bringing a team together. Uh, so for me personally, Team, teams and bringing, bringing teams and groups of people together is really important to be able to deliver what's needed for stakeholders. So finding mechanisms to create that environment or that platform is really, really important for mm. me. Um, so from a team point of view, it's using the principles, delivering on projects, but also then weaving those principles into your business as usual almost. Mm. So how do you weave it into your workflow rather than it always having to be something that is project related? And from a stakeholder point of view, um, I guess the, the big example that I can share with you is the reason we started this in the first place um, in terms of a project was that a couple of years ago uh, with the apprenticeship levy kicking in within River Island, we came to the decision that we wanted to become an employer provider mm -hmm. rather than using a third party to deliver our apprenticeship program. Um, for anyone that's experienced becoming an employer provider, the moment you make the decision to do do that is really exciting because you know it's the right thing to do for the business and then the reality sets in and you realize what an absolute massive mammoth task it is to achieve mm -hmm. and for a, a commercial l d function to understand and appreciate the complexities of education so it was huge um we thought we had six months to deliver what we needed to to be compliant with 
everything related to the ESFA and Ofsted, um, the window of opportunities was reduced. So the, the point in time that we had to submit our application was reduced and we only had three months to do what we thought we had to do in six months. Mm. And so we said, OK, right, if we're going to do it, we're going to try Agile now. This is the point in time where we're, we're either, we've either got to do something different um, or we're not going to meet this deadline. And so we created a significant backlog of work with everything that needed to be done. We put that backlog of work into a Kanban. Um, we formed um, an Agile team. We committed to, to work in two-week sprints. And at the beginning of every two weeks, we decided what was going to come off of that backlog of work and move into that sprint. We co-created our solution the whole way through. And throughout those sprints, we had our daily stand-ups. Um, and the result of that was that we were able to achieve the deadline that was significantly reduced, submit our application and be approved as an employer provider, which mm. if we hadn't have done at that point, we may have missed the boat by an additional year. So it was a really big deal for us at that point in time to have that achievement. So you had a compelling event and a tiny time frame, mm. much less time frame than you thought. Mm. So, so if I'm interpreting this right, I'm going to try to oversimplify, but recognise that there is uh, a wealth of knowledge um, behind it. Is it about the routines and the systems that, that you had to get used to lightning quick as a team? Um, or were you students of Agile at the same time? Mm. How would you describe that, that first phase yeah probably a bit of both you know probably a bit of both because um i think the beauty in the main of people in the lnd space is you are naturally curious and you want to learn mm. so you've kind of got a a good opportunity to say okay we're going to learn at the same time as doing mm. not everyone has that mindset so it's a good place to be able to to start from to experience things on the go recognize what works um, challenge what doesn't and um, keep evaluating. Mm. I think the other element that's important is at the end of each sprint, now, and a sprint can, I've, I've referenced two weeks, but a sprint could be a day, a sprint could be a month. You know, it's about being very, very clear on the time boxing. But at the end of that sprint, having a period of time where you, you have a retrospective conversation to say what worked, what didn't, how do we change it in the future? And mm -hmm. um, so it's those conversations that help you to understand what's working and what's not, and you learn through it. Um, we also, in the early days, lent on some support from, from our tech team. So they were experts in the business. So we said to them, hey, help us out, mm -hmm. get us started, give us some guidance, give us some tips. And I think with anything new, agile or not, the best way of being able to understand how to start something is to talk to other people that have experienced it. Yeah. And that could be in your business or outside your business. Hence why had the conversations with Tracy and I had the conversations internally to kind of say, okay, we, we're really excited and we think we want to do this, but any any like golden nuggets of what we should, you know, do's and don'ts, what we should try. And the interesting thing is everybody's application of Agile varies mm. because although there's a series of principles that you can draw down upon, um, it's also about contextualizing it to your environment. And I think that's what's so great about Agile. Um, here at Roche, it's really, we're in a really exciting point of time because Agile as a principle is being widely adopted across the whole global organisation, which mm. is amazing. Across all functions? Everything, oh, everything. Wow. So across the whole culture of the business. So globally, we've got over 100,000 people and we're in over 100 countries across the globe. And the concept of Agile and Agile working is something that we want to culturally weave into the fabric of what we do. Um, in every part of the business. So um, for me, joining six months ago, knowing that that was something that was um, really paramount in terms of the way in which the culture evolves was really exciting because I knew that I could perhaps bring some of my own experience from previous businesses and help to 
um, influence and shape how we do things within within the environment of Roche. So we're we're very much in the learning stages here. Mm. Um, and same same scenario. Lots of people with their positive mindset that says, okay, great, this is a different way of doing things. And lots of people that say, oh, hang on a second, we can't possibly change because we've got processes that we have to follow yeah. and it's very, very rigorous. And I'd love to know how then you bring people with you. You clearly have seen this work in River Island. You have the experience and so joining Roche, you're ready to go. As will be some excited and perhaps um, uh, open-minded members of your team, mm. but there are going to be some people who are wedded to the old way. And, mm. in, and people listening to this thinking, well, I've made a success of my career in L&D so far with perhaps more traditional uh, waterfall and linear approaches mm. to development and solutioneering. So how do you bring a team of people, if not an organisation of people, with you? Mm. I think um, with anything like this, it's about finding the advocates and almost building your army. Mm. So find the advocates that are behind it. They become the extended voice. So you can't always be the sole voice in L&D. If you're trying to launch or drive something and it only ever comes from L&D or more broadly within HR, it, it, it won't land. Mm. What you need to do is find that extended voice across the organisation. So it's identifying those people or those departments or those areas learning from what they have experienced and really champion it and mm. get them to be the ones that then help to get to a point where you tip the balance, where there's more people in the organisation that want to work in that way than those that don't. And eventually you kind of bring it, bring people on the journey. Mm. Or, you know, and, and I'm very comfortable with this, sometimes when an organisation makes a big, big significant shift, some people say, you know, well, this isn't for me. Yeah. And, and actually, okay, I've been here however long I've been here, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere new. And that's that's okay because businesses need to evolve. It's the yeah. organisations that sit still for too long um, that fail to succeed. And, and I think it's really important that businesses are open-minded to look at new ways of doing things. Mm. I can see how it's not going to be for everybody. I'd say that, uh, that um, some people might see it as much more relentless than the old approach. I think that's the, in my experience uh, of in-house, you have time for an incubation phase. As mm. soon as you receive a need, you've got an incubation where you can you can research and perhaps connect, find out what other people have done, which is far less pacey than mm. what it sounds if you had a, a two week sprint. Uh, from there, there's the development, and you know, and so there is this this the opportunity to go much much slower. Mm. And I suppose because in L and D, traditionally smaller teams, there will be other priorities as well. But it does seem as if there is this um, the the pace isn't going to be for everybody. Have you found that? Mm. I guess so. When people haven't experienced it. Right. They'll think the pace isn't for them. Yeah. When someone can be encouraged to experience a sprint or an agile project, actually more often than not, the end result is a light bulb moment where they go, actually, that was amazing. Yeah. It's, it's just getting them to step into that world. And once they've stepped into it, then they can appreciate the benefit that it brings. Mm. If you can't manage to encourage someone to even be open-minded enough to experiment, that's when I think you kind of have a bit of an issue that's quite difficult to overcome. I suppose it's the uh, equivalent of using an out-of-date map for 
you know, for a terrain. So, yeah. so you've got, so there was an old way of doing things, which you see comfortable, which helps you achieve certain ends. Mm. But with agile, you're achieving different ends. The journey's different because the terrain is different yeah. and you're achieving something very different at the end of that. I suppose mm. it does seem as if you've got to experience it. And I'd like to shortcut that somehow, if we can, during this conversation, because I wonder if there's an example you mentioned there about uh, the apprenticeship levy, but I'd love to ground this in something that you've seen uh, um, it, Agile really work to achieve um, different outcomes, better results. So specifically in relation to an L&D initiative, something we can all um, imagine, whether it be induction, new manager development, core skills development, wh whatever you wish. Could you describe how Agile has worked in that context and what you've been able to achieve? Yeah, I, I think the easiest one to, to give as an example, and it's one that probably so many of us in the L&D space have been asked to deliver on it in its management development programs. Mm. You know, that so commonly in the past would be something that you would say, okay, we've got to create this end-to-end -end program. Um, I'd like to think now we've moved forward from sheep dip programs, but that we're, we're at least in a place where we recognize that we have to have some kind of blended solution, but that actually that blended solution could should grow alongside the business. So I've done programs many, many years ago. So, so prior to River Island, I worked at Virgin and even at Virgin at the time, we felt quite pioneering the things mm. we were doing. But when I reflect on that now, things have moved on massively. Um, and even back in those days, you would design a program, or I, I did design programs that kind of said, well, okay, here's what I think managers need. I'm going to create all the modules, going to package it up into this beautiful program, and then we're going to go out and launch. And that was great, but you know, you don't know what you don't know, and you kind mm -hmm. of think that's the best that you can do at that point in time. Actually, the approach really shifted through Agile whilst I was at River Island, which said, you know what, we know we've got a point of need right now in a specific topic. So um, one of the other big shifts we made at River Island was moving away from traditional appraisals and no mm -hmm. longer doing um, sort of the, the yearly performance management piece. But what needed to come alongside that was a very specific focus around management skills and capability. And so there were some, some specific areas that we needed to help managers to feel more confident and competent in. And rather than doing an end-to-end programme, we designed um, a series of, of different elements that we built on gradually. Mm. But before we built on the next piece, we tested whether the first piece was right. So the starting point um, of our programme was, was launching just three very short modules that linked to performance management. So we very simple modules, um, in-the-moment feedback, effective one-to-ones and career development meetings. No, nothing mm -hmm. groundbreaking. But what we didn't want to do is create a program that had 15 modules that were already written, designed and created before we before we tested that they were right. Um, and then we built on it gradually. So mm -hmm. we had those three modules to begin with. We wrapped those around with one module around personal effectiveness. Um, we checked that that was right and the way that we were doing it was landing well. We evolved the next phase. So when we started to introduce um, different topic areas that we recognised people needed at that point in time, um, we leveraged more um, video-based solutions. So, so every iteration of each module or topic that we were producing and creating was slightly different to the one before. Mm -hmm. Now, if we'd have done that in the traditional way where we'd have said, we want there's 15 different topics, we're going to create every module, it's going to have a classroom element, an online element and a video, and we create all of that content before we even go live with it, it would have been out of date. Mm. And it wouldn't have been delivered at the point of need. Businesses and the managers and the people within it um, have different needs at different stages. So we knew that we'd got to a place where actually people were feeling much more comfortable with the way that we wanted one-to-ones um, to land in the business. So we'd taken much more of a coaching model and we were encouraging people to understand that 
um, having more emotionally connected conversations and leveraging EQ as a concept mm-hmm. was built into it. And that, you know, it's okay to have a conversation that just says, how, how are you, rather yeah. than task-based conversations. And that bit was kind of like, okay, okay, we've done a good job there. What's the next piece? Okay, the next piece might be something that's very specific or it might be something um, that is was broader. And so for us, we looked very closely at self-care mm-hmm. and what, what we needed to do in that space. So, the, and, I know, and I know even now, because I keep in touch with the team, um, the programme continues to evolve. They yeah. have new modules in and other things come out and it just, it just develops and mm-hmm. evolves at the point of the, the business's needs. You know, the, the concept of the programme, it still has its overall identity. People know, know the programme, but... Um, as it stands today is a very different program than it was two or three years ago because we're listening to what people need and we're gathering that feedback and we're constantly updating and evolving it. So you say about the, so there's, a, there's the co-creation as you've just, just mentioned there. What did that look like in, in, a, uh, in a sprint or in a time box as, a, as you say? What, how are you engaging with the, with the, the, the managers? Yeah, so I think what's important is you're, you're, you're listening Mm. Um, you're you're opening up the door to say what do you, what's going on what's what do you need what's happening where are your challenges what are the things that you're struggling with and mm. um, how can we support you rather than assuming well we know what managers need yeah they need this basic a to z and if we deliver that then we'll have great managers well every business is different yeah. you know coming into Roche now recognizing what managers need here is not the same as what they needed in Virgin or what what they needed in River Island so you you need to open those doors so um even now in the six months that I've been at Roche, for me, the first six months has been very much about engaging with people and having those conversations for me to understand what's going on and what they need. And that's through um, open forums. So we've just launched a people and culture squad. Mm-hmm. So bringing together people so that we can say, OK, what what is what does the future look like? So very specifically um, around at the moment in Roche, it's more about onboarding. Mm. So we've got a pretty good basis around management development, but actually our onboarding you know, could could be improved, and so rather than me saying, "Well, I know what the answer is to that," because mm. I've done it done it before, I can do it again. Yeah. Actually, let's bring a group of people in a room. Let's have a conversation. Let's listen to what they're saying, um, and and we've made a starting point. So we we did a huge process mapping exercise last week, um, and next week um, an agile project starts, mm-hmm. and the principle of that agile project is going to be um, how do we come together to create an onboarding approach. Um, that is a personalised experience for every employee and has uh, moments that matter throughout that experience. And that's going to be a massive, a massive project, mm. but we're going to chunk it down, time box uh, specific parts and, and do it bit by bit. And as we do it, check in, mm. loop back, get the feedback, understand what's going on. So, so really it's about the, the co-creation piece comes from not being so egotistical yep. and thinking we know all the answers and just being open to having conversations with with your with your people mm. you know they're the ones that know what's what the problem is then they're the ones that know what they're struggling with and so unless you listen to that and you get that feedback how can you possibly ever know what the solution needs to be mm. on a, a recent podcast uh, on the performance matters podcast which is bob mosher's um uh podcast he had Elliot Maisie on and he said part of the the problem in L&D for a long time is that we've been in the publishing business Uh, and what how I interpreted that was um, this is everything to do with I need you to know this Mm. and when you think of the worst crimes of induction this is we bring people together on their first day they can't they've just been introduced to the person sitting next to them they can't remember their name Mm -hmm. but we we uh, continue to deliver 
slides and slides of content on um, the big picture stuff, the you know the company's vision and uh, and culture and and strategy and um, and hierarchy, the organisational structure, and we do everything then through health and safety tour of the building right down to and here's the, the system in which you process your expenses. What we've decided is we need you to know this, or at the very least, we need you to tell uh, we need to tell you this yeah. almost as a backside covering exercise. Mm. Um, but what you're describing there is the opposite end. Rather than a topic-centric, I need you to know this, this is a user-centric, what is it you're trying to do mm. and how can we help you? Which is far more about dialogue rather than delivery. It switches the dynamic. It creates an enormous amount of unknown for a learning and development function who are used to that. I love you where you say an egotistical because you can't see that there's, a, there's, there's too much of a generous side to, mm. to what we are making people experience in those, those uh, immersive programs, even if we hide it under the banner of consistency. You know, we just want everyone to have a consistent mm. experience. Yeah, it's consistently terrible, like, really. <laughs> yeah. But but what you're saying here is that we're we're opening ourselves up to not knowing what it is that people need, but helping to enhance the experience that they're going to have regardless of us, and then help to address some of those inefficiencies. Uh, and once we've addressed some of the inefficiencies, because what we've always found is with, uh, with with those kind of situations, when you ask people what they need help with, and they can still access the pain of of joining your organisation. They are really basic. Mm. They're really basic. But when you've covered all of those, then it extends another level. And the iteration continues because you'll never finish. Mm. And you should never be scared of that. But you go from the very base level, I didn't know what to wear on my first day. Yep. Or um, look, I was worried about going and finding the toilets in case I didn't find my way back. And all of that stuff that people genuinely worry about to... Right, I'm looking for, for ways in my first week to prove that I'm the right hire, to, to understand the communication channels and the sophisticated, in, implicit ways in which people influence in order to get the right yeah. stuff done. All of that stuff, which is really critical, which you miss totally when all you're looking at is trying to get through 150 slides in three hours. <laughs> yep, <laughs> literally encapsulated the world we're in right now. Absolutely. And I, I you know, in the, in, the, in the session we did last week, you know hearing people give examples to say yeah but they didn't you know in their first day no one showed them where the bathroom was is just it blows my mind mm. and and for me it's about absolutely stripping it back and saying you know what are the things that are most important to somebody but also i think the thing we forget is we're so focused on you know, like you just said making sure they know how to do the expense process yeah we're not thinking about how they feel yeah so for me, this piece around moments that matter and creating a personalised experience, all I care about in someone's first week is that they get to the end of that week and they have a feeling within them that says, I've made the right choice. I'm so excited about the career ahead of me mm. within this company. I've joined Roche. I love what, you know, I love the role I've been given and I can feel that I'm, I'm going to fit. Instead, what we're currently doing is, is bombarding people with so much yeah. information they can't possibly retain and like you say you can barely retain the name of the person sat next to you on your first day let alone mm. the slide deck and the copious amounts of information um you know that that we we think we need to give to people because we have to be you know compliant and we have to mm. tick a box um you know and the expense one is as a prime example so um i challenged the group last week when we were looking at that you know at the moment day two is when someone learns about how to submit their expenses well for me that doesn't go in my head. I want someone to sit with me the first time I do my expenses. That's right. So when I'm due to first do it after my first month, that's when it should be happening on my onboarding. Someone yeah. should say, oh, you're due to do a first expense submission. I'll sit next to you. Let me show you. 
because there's no way anyone's going to remember anything on day two mm. and they've had someone you know spoon feed some information and then land a document on their desk and say well we've told we've shown you mm. you can do it now so it's all of those things that we need to unpick and i think it comes from a place of a very traditional L&D mindset that says we have a tick list of things that we've got to cover off with people if we've done it we've done our job yeah well actually you haven't done your job because you haven't given the person really what they truly need mm. you've done what you think you need to move on to the next new starter so um yeah that's a massive project ahead of us here at Roche around how we look at onboarding and and that's an ideal project and, mm. and is going to be as of next week quite a large um, agile project that will that will deliver using agile principles to make sure we keep the momentum yeah it's such a massive task to look at onboarding as with most big things like management or leadership development but onboarding is so big that if you don't break it down into bite-sized chunks you feel swamped with how much needs yeah. to be fixed um and, and i think you know being able to manage that workflow um, know that you've got your checkpoints with your stakeholders to say, how well, you come up with an idea, we're going to try this, what do you reckon? Mm. And continue it that way, I think, is far more powerful. And you can really start to demonstrate the difference that you're making to a business. So you're anticipating this work and that, you know, so it's one thing to talk about the future and what, what this could be. And of course, this needs to be validated uh, and co-created with your people. But looking back as well to, to the initiatives that you've run previously, this is an ongoing, a continuous experience, isn't it? Mm. Scooping people up through from uh, the, um, either the agreement that they are joining the organisation or as they they um, transition into a role and over a period of time. Mm. And, and you know, if that's the case, how is that experience? Is this a mix of face-to-face, -face, of immersive, of digital? What kind of thing can I expect as a new manager of, mm. uh, of Old or as a, as a, a new employee of, at Roche? And I think that's the thing. I think there needs to be so many different ways of being able to find those solutions. Mm. And actually, right now, I've got a view of what that might look like, but going through um, a series of sprints to really explore that, you know, we, we might look at new new innovations and new ways yeah. of doing things that we may not have even experienced before. And I think that's what Agile brings. Mm. It brings a level of curiosity that says, well, we've always done it this way. I've learned something new over here. How might that work as part of the solution? Yeah. And just opening up people's eyes. I think so many organizations, and especially the ones that have got lots of people that have been within them for many years, which in some respects is lovely. Um, the downside is that you become very insular mm -hmm. and people forget to look outside of your own four walls and forget to think, okay, well, we do things the way we do them here, but actually what's our competition doing? Yeah. What's going on elsewhere? So there was a prime example in, in the People and Culture Squad session that I held last week where someone said to me, um, they had a new starter join the business and um, this new starter had a counter offer elsewhere. Um, and she, thankfully she decided to join us at Roche but the counter offer that she had declined, kind of the, the wheels that were already in motion for her onboarding. And her onboarding experience um, resulted in, to begin, begin with, before she'd even joined the business, she had her tech sent to her home. Yeah. So she had her phone and her laptop sent to her a week before she was supposed to have joined. Um, and on that tech were things that she could access straight away that would help her to feel excited about the role. Now, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, there are lots of businesses that achieve that, but there are lots of businesses that can't even get someone's laptop sorted in the first month. That's right. You know, so it's those kinds of things where you make that difference to say, actually, what do we do that creates an experience for somebody that mm. is memorable and makes them feel great and reminds them that they've, they've joined the right business? And just to pick up on another point you said earlier, which is this never ends. Mm. So 
to me, anything that we deliver in the L&D space, there is no end. There is no end. Mm. It keeps going. And I think that's another change in mindset. I think gone are the days where you get given a brief by a stakeholder that says, I want, I want a sales program. Mm. Did it design a sales program and then deliver it to everybody and then we're done. Well, well no, you're never done. Because actually, mm. if we work in an agile way, we'll look at what the needs are right now. We'll, we'll give some kind of solution. We'll iterate on that. We'll keep on going and it evolves and it grows and it develops. And I think that's a really important element of the mindset. So whilst with this onboarding piece at Roche, we'll have a look at, you know, perhaps a real focus period of time for the next three months to get some some basics in place that we feel really proud of, it will be a project that never goes. Yeah. We're constantly evaluating, constantly looking at it. And, and I think anyone that has the mindset of, oh, I've done that, tick, next project, I think they're missing a trick. Mm. But that shouldn't be scary either, mm. should it? Because uh, you will immerse yourself in a, uh, in a sprint. You'll get to uh, your, your minimum valuable product. You'll put that prototype into people's hands to see whether it makes a difference. And then you will iterate. But you've done the, the main part of the work. Mm. Um, so the iteration is about having an uh, open communication channel that is focused on that product, yeah. on helping the uh, that product to get you the, the the desired results. So it is getting results from the end of your sprint onwards, but it's always improving. You're not always going back to it. Mm. What I love about um, agile approaches is very rarely, and this is, this is certainly contrary to uh, old ways of doing learning and development, you're not looking at a program you had three years ago and then saying, oh, that needs a refresh now, mm. doesn't it? Based on a hunch, based yeah. on that hasn't been touched for a while. You'll be looking and knowing whether that is still getting you the desired results. And and then dipping in and dipping out, mm. applying some attention. As you said before, you, you're doing retrospectives to see whether that has actually helped you to achieve what, what was the successful as you as a team in order to, to achieve that so that you can take those learnings mm. on. You're a team in progress and never finished as well, yeah. like sharpening your tools. And what I, going back to something you said earlier on, you've got the, the license to experiment with different approaches and platforms because you're not making big bets on LMSs as mm. well as suites of content that, and then looking for problems to solve with those. Mm. You know, put, you know, letting the, the, the tail wag the dog, as it were. You are understanding what is really required in your organization. You're getting them on board because you know you've, you've changed the relationship and almost the contract with mm. them from a, a, a function that delivers stuff to them to a, a uh, a function that helps them with what they're trying to do. And then they understand that you will provide them or you will decide uh, amongst you what the right tools are to help with that. Yeah. And you were thinking that will be faster, cheaper and easier to both uh, to, to source and implement and to, to gain uh, to, to continue with sustained engagement on that than you ever will from lumping a great big platform into your organization, thinking it's going to save transform your business or transform your L&D function when you don't even know the first thing that that is going to help you to solve. Mm. It's it's a completely different set of interactions, mm. uh, which leads me on. I've just got a couple more questions, uh, Nabel, because um, many people are going to be listening uh, to this and interested uh, in experimenting with Agile Capital A again mm. and having listened to the benefits you've described, they'll want to try it themselves. Mm. So how do you suggest they do so without annoying or alienating their stakeholders? Mm, okay, so I, I guess with this, start small. Mm -hmm. So um, try some small elements first, see how it feels, um, and build on it. 
So as simple as saying, okay, we've got something that needs to be done in the next week or the next month. How can we do it differently? Um, give yourself a very specific time frame um, and set up a group of people as an agile team and start to experience having the daily stand-ups. Now, there's a couple of just basic tools that are useful here. So I mentioned before the concept of a Kanban board. Um, if you just Google Kanban, you'll see um, loads of information. But the principle of a Kanban is saying, well, here's my task list. Here's the things that we need to achieve. And that as a group, we've, we've agreed that we're going to cover in these next two weeks or this one week. Um, and every day when we have our check-in, we look at our to-do list. Um, we, we each take ownership of something on that to-do list. We move it across to um, in progress. We give updates on what we've done um, to progress it. And when it's done, we move it to the, the next column along, which is done. Um, and anything that's on the to-do list that for whatever reason is blocked by other things that can't happen, we put it in a blocked column. So basically mm -hmm. it's a chart with four columns. It's, yeah. so, it's so simple, but it's a visual representation that everyone um, can lean into. Um, there are some very simple online versions of it if you're a remote team and you can't have that up on a wall somewhere and that works just as well. But I think just, just identify something that needs to get done that perhaps needs a bit of focus. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a time frame, create the group, um, have someone champion um, facilitating the group. So if you are going really deep into Agile, um, it's likely you'll need someone that plays the role as what's known as Scrum Master. But really, it's, a, it's, a, it's an L&D facilitator. And yeah. so really, where, where I've built up the Scrum Master capability um, previously, it's been from that L&D space because really it's just a smart facilitator that can keep a group in control, really, and mm. keep moving them forward with things um, and see how it feels. Yeah. See what you see what you get from it, um, and explore and um, be curious. There's so much stuff online that you can just look at, and mm. you can get um, inspiration from, and reach out to other people in the L and D space that are that are utilising this as a principle, and just open your mind to doing things in a new way. Mm. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's about giving it a go. We shouldn't be ruminating. If this sounds interesting, I think it's a case of rolling the sleeves up. Mm. Uh, Trello is a great tool for, yep. for what you've just described there. I think it's free uh, for, for a certain number of users as well to just uh, just just try this out. Yeah. Um, which leads me on to the final point, which you have touched on already, and I'd love to just get some specific on this. What personal or team development should listeners engage in to prepare themselves and continue to refine the mindset and the skills required for working agile. I think that there is a, a, an agile um, HR networking group as, as well as some uh, some other resources. What what did yeah. you lean on and what would, what would you recommend? Yeah, so to call it another name, so Natal Dank is somebody that um, early on in our journey we engaged with. So Natal really champions um, Agile HR broadly and that mm -hmm. encompasses everything around L&D. Um, and she's a great person to follow and to engage with to understand how this is working um, in loads of organisations, both in the UK and across Europe. Mm -hmm. um, Again, we've we've talked about Tracy, but she's somebody that you know early on I connected with, and being able to share experiences with her and her team was brilliant. Um, and I think there are um, various agile websites that you can look at that aren't necessarily for the L and D and HR space. So mm. looking at agile communities, so um, 
when I first embarked on becoming uh, a Scrum Master, um, I went through the Scrum Master's course and I used an organisation called Agile 8. Mm-hmm. Um, not specialist to HR and L&D, but it was a great experience all the same because it was good to be able to see how, um, how being a Scrum Master um, can be applied in lots of different contexts. Um, and you can become part of Agile communities um, on lots of different social media platforms that, that can help to engage you with what's going on in that space. Um, and just be really open um, and, and be curious and try stuff because that's surely what L&D is all about. Exactly, I think that's a wonderful place to, uh, to finish there. We'll put some links in the show notes to uh, some of the people um, and, uh, and stuff that you've mentioned there. Uh, but Nabel, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hearing how others are embracing Agile helps to dispel the myths that it's just another buzzword or fad and that it's just too hard. Nabel was generous there with her experience and examples and I hope this inspires many more to experiment. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now. Thank you.